0: Bar heads. Definitely, Father. Thank you once again for this tremendous privilege, this honor, this opportunity to gather together as family in the unity of the faith, Father—a faith that you have granted to each one of us as individuals by grace. Father, thank you for always keeping our hearts honest and true towards you, and thank you for bestowing upon us the privilege of doing your commands. One great command that your son gave us was to love one another. What a privilege that is, Father. Thank you for your patience as we learn what that means. Thank you for ridding us of anything that it doesn't mean, that the world has tried to supplant in our souls. Father, we're so grateful for these things, how freeing they are. We pray for those that are still broken, that can't be here with us this evening, that would desire to be here with us. We pray also for those still lost. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make an evening like this even a reality. We do just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Jeremy, how's that fan? Is that too loud? It's not too loud? Noah? Is that right? Yeah, yeah all right. Again, God sees the heart, but the world sees the choices we make. Part 6. I really did enjoy um, Tuesday's lesson. And it was funny because uh, all I could think about was that 70s song. Remember the things... The things we do for love. You know that song? It's, I had to look it up. It's called a group called the 10CC. But that's all I could think about. And then I went and read the lyrics. And of course, it's nothing more than cosmic drivel. <laughs> but nonetheless, thanks, Scott. <laughs> it was a waste of time. <laughs> In any case, here's the principle from Tuesday's message. The things we do for love... For the benefit of all the people observing our daily choices, and because all men are weak in certain areas, we consider their weaknesses, even while we act in the liberty given to us by Christ. In other words, we're supposed to esteem others higher than ourselves, even. We're supposed to love others. That's the great command that I just quoted from Jesus Christ himself. And that's what we've been learning here. Uh, what it means to love others. God sees our hearts. We may say to God, and rightfully so, I do love others. I just, and he says, He, hey, hey, I need you to show others um, the love that my son has shown you, starting with salvation proper. Um, so what's the Spirit been giving us in all this? The same thing he's been giving us for years now, of course, perspective. That's really what he wants us to have. And I was thinking about Um, how to carve up this perspective that he's been giving us on this particular topic. Um, Think of it this way. Right perspective empowers us. Bad perspective weakens us. Right perspective empowers us. Bad perspective weakens us. Allow me to explain. Take love, for example. How many times in our lives have we loved someone and been in fear of losing them? How many times in our lives have we loved someone and been in fear of losing them? And all along, that was never even an option. That was never even an option. We just had a, let's say, a bad perspective, as it turns out. But yet, we lived in fear of maybe losing this love. I don't know why he keeps doing this to me, but here we go. I remember being terribly insecure about such things my freshman and sophomore years of high school. And maybe some of you can relate. Uh, Those are formative years for young men. And when you don't have uh, a strong father figure in your life, Uh, it's really difficult. My fear was people not liking or even loving me, frankly. So I strove and strove to be liked. Not for the sake of being liked, so to speak. I know that sounds goofy. I've always felt that friendships add pressure and drain energy, being introverted. I strove out of fear. I strove out of fear. Do you know what I'm saying? I was motivated by something visceral, something deep inside. I was afraid that I wasn't going to be loved. And so I strove that way for years in insecurity, out of fear. And that's a terrible way to live. So I ask all of you up here on the board, have you ever strove for something out of fear? Love, let's say friendship, acceptance, etc. Have you ever strove for something out of fear? You might be asking at this point, what does this have to do with our message (laughs) series? as of late, a lot, because it showcases the following pair of principles. Right perspective empowers us. Bad perspective weakens us. Right perspective empowers us. Bad perspective, or wrong, you could say, weakens us. The perfect example is the capstone of our lessons as of late, love. With right perspective, we're empowered by love. With wrong perspective, we're weakened. So if we have the right perspective, we know that we are loved beyond measure. With the right perspective, we know that we are loved beyond measure. And that does something fundamental in our souls. It frees us up to follow the Lord's command to love others. Go to John 15, 17. When we have the right perspective, we know that we are loved beyond measure. I'd ask you to raise your hand, but I'd be so saddened if anyone didn't raise their hand to the question, do you know that you're loved beyond measure? That would make me very sad, so I won't ask you to raise your hand. But when you do understand that, and all that is is perspective, because it's true. I mean, God loved you so much he saved you. That you're free to abide in this command John 15 17 this I command you that you love one another this I command you that you love one another being able to follow this command as believers really boils down to perspective it really does it really boils down to perspective remember being a child and your parent told you after, say, if you had siblings, you hurt your sibling, go tell your brother or sister that you love them. And you're like, I hate them. (laughs) And your parents would say, don't say that. You don't hate them. Hate is a bad word. And you just shrugged in complete disagreement for a while until your emotions settled and you realized that you really didn't hate your sibling. Rather, you actually loved them. Remember times like that? I do. I mean, I might have been the one that was always hated. (laughs) What was the problem, though, in that little scenario? Bad perspective. Bad perspective. Emotions often the culprit, of course. And then we grow up. then we grow up and we really need some guidance on such things especially when someone else is functioning in the weakness of their flesh perspective becomes everything at that point because then the hockey gloves are really close to coming off you know how the flesh is the flesh just gets really better at what it was when it was a kid more manipulative, more conniving, more irritating, more arrogant—the whole nine. It actually gets better; it grows up as a jerk, and it haunts us even worse. And so, we have to get better at gaining perspective, especially when someone else is functioning in the weakness of their flesh. So, the omniscient God has given us good counsel. Go to Romans twelve seventeen, Romans twelve seventeen, and so. God of course knows this our creator knows the dynamics of life and so he's given us the word of god as good counsel so that we have good perspective romans 12 verse 17 says never pay back evil for evil to anyone never Pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. That has to do with even having a good name. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Another passage or another uh, verse that speaks to a good name. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I just wrote a blog on this. Um, You're going to see it on Saturday. Um, again vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord but if your enemy is hungry feed him and if he is thirsty give him a drink for in doing so you will heap burning coals on his head do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good up here on the board that last phrase we've seen it before this takes divine perspective to enact You have to understand what's actually going on. This person is weak. They're attacking me because they're weak. I understand. And I'm not going to get into it with this person. I'm going to try to overcome that evil with something good. And that takes what? Perspective. You have to understand the situation. You have to have the right perspective in on it. So this takes divine perspective to overcome evil with good. This is diametrically opposed to the deepest desires of the flesh. The flesh is a um, you know, battle warrior when it comes to those things. This is diametrically opposed to the deepest desires of the flesh. Jesus said, quote, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Luke six twenty seven. Remember, such hearing is a gift from God for believers only. So we're supposed to, with good perspective, transcend evil in this world. Who else is going to do it? The flesh can't do it, and that's all the world is filled with. We're the ones with the right perspective. We're the ones that are able to bring glory to God in the midst of evil. And that's the command. And that goes all the way back to loving others. So I was thinking about that as well. Evil exists in all places and formats in this world, all you have to do is look around. You don't even have to look any further, frankly, than the mirror, for starters. I mean, who in here is going to say that they don't have some evil in their life right now? Or when considering others, you don't have to look any further than the, the ones that are closest to you, your families, your friends, the church even. There's evil everywhere. Everywhere. Some of you have evil thoughts right now. And you're sitting in a church, in a holy chapel, ordained by God, and you're having evil thoughts. Hmm. Evil is everywhere. And until you have the right perspective on things, sowing love is the last thing you want to do when you discover it. Until you have the right perspective. Sowing love is the last thing you want to do when you find evil. What does the flesh want to do? Get in a fight? Hit it head on? I mean, isn't that what the flesh says? All right, let's go. I'm going in the ring. Let's do this thing. That's not the right perspective. We just learned that. Do not overcome evil with evil. Overcome evil with good. So you have to have the right perspective to sow love in that situation especially when you're being attacked by enemies it's funny because if you know paul the apostle he went looking to sow love in the midst of evil he went looking for it looking for ways to do it and that is only possible when you have good perspective about the world in which you are trudging into after all, the world is uninviting for the most part. So said Jesus. John 15:19 up here on the board. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. So the world is not inviting to you. Go away with your love, mister. Or oh, little Miss, you know, dimples. Go away with your attempts to love me. The world hates us. Let's look at that passage from Tuesday again, where Paul describes how he went looking for ways to overcome evil with good, uh, a la Romans twelve twenty one. Go to 1 Corinthians 9:19. 9, 9:19. 9, again, Paul describes where he went looking for ways to overcome evil with good, even Jesus was like that. Jesus went right into the thick of it. that's why he offended people. that's why people were offended by him because he, is, he was and is the very embodiment of truth and when evil is faced with truth, it always there's always a backlash. but that didn't thwart him, nor should it dissuade us. first Corinthians 9:19. 9, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. Paul had that whatever-it-takes attitude. That takes perspective. Because most people don't have whatever-it-takes attitude. Most people say, well, I'll meet you halfway, or I'll meet you three-quarters of the way, but I'm not going to go all the way there um, and really show God's grace. I'm going to hold back somehow or I'm going to hold a grudge, or something that's going to make that an impossibility. But not for Paul. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To the Jews I became a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may be by all means, save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. Oh, I love it. That's like the crux of our messages since the gospel reload. Literally, there it is. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. See, to him, it was a living gospel. He lived the gospel reality. He never went and strayed far from the gospel. He said, I do everything for the sake of the gospel. Isn't that what the Spirit's been saying from this pulpit? In every which way, do everything for the sake of the gospel. That's what your purpose is here. We're here to save people. That was Jesus' purpose. I mean, we are his prototype, or he is our prototype, right? He came to seek and to save that which was lost, not even to judge. To seek and to save. That's what Paul says. Paul is one of his star pupils, so to speak. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. As we saw together on Sunday with Timothy, even circumcision was on the table. And as a man, I kind of cringe. Just saying. He was willing to be cut. This is from Tuesdays because I'm not this crass. <laughs> he was willing to be cut for others. Now, that's quite a undertaking. You mean I don't have to do this? No, you don't. But I want to cut the foreskin off of your penis so that you, so we have a seat at the table. I don't know about this. I was kind of good before. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, this is right, people? I mean, even... Ladies can relate to that. Uh, anyways, Timothy put his own comfort aside, willing to sacrifice his own flesh and even his own rights for the good it might bring others. Acts 16.3, 1 Corinthians 9.22 This is an all-in attitude that exemplifies what it means to love others the way Christ does. That's what it means. Whatever it takes. Isn't that what Paul just said? I'll do whatever for the gospel. All right, I got to be a Jew for the day. I got to hang with the Jews. Okay, I'll hang with the Jews. I got to hang with the Gentiles for the day. Okay, I'll hang with the Gentiles. I got to hang with a tax collector. A prod- I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to sow the seed of the gospel in love. Because that's what love is. I'm not even trying to judge you. I don't want to come into your house and say, hey... Knock all this crap off, and then we can talk about the gospel. I don't even want to do that. I just want to bring the gospel to you. So this is an all-in attitude that exemplifies what it means to love others the way Christ does. Go to Colossians 3.23. Colossians 3.23. And this is all that the Spirit's trying to say to us. This is the perspective that He's been trying to give us This is the purpose, right? What are we here for? Colossians 3.23 Whatever you do, whatever means pretty much everything, right? Whatever you do, do you work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men? Up here on the board. Whatever you do, this is ubiquitous calling. Loving amidst the perverse generation of people isn't always easy. In fact, it may be among the most difficult things we are called to do. Let's face it. You want me to love my enemies? The guy just spit on me. The guy just keyed my car. The guy just stole my dog. Cut me up the back at work. You want me to love this person? Yeah. It may be among the most difficult things we are called to do. Furthermore, we are called to do so in whatever we do this is a ubiquitous calling to love what is our reward for doing so we'll look at verse 24 knowing that from the lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance remember from revelation 20 no good deed will go unrewarded in heaven all the deeds are going to be laid out every good deed and the lord's going to judge and there are going to be rewards in heaven that's part of what is called the you receiving the reward of the inheritance it is the lord christ whom you serve for he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done and that without partiality remember god is not one to show partiality so doing good is something we can actually do in this lifetime but right perspective is the key and that's what the spirit's trying to give us What's the right perspective on this? Well, what's the command, the overarching command from our Lord? To love others. It always comes back to love. It's the great mandate, if you would. So you can do good in this lifetime, but right perspective is the key. With the wrong perspective, we make decisions that don't bring glory to God. Because that's when, what, our flesh gets in the way. And we don't bring glory to God. And Jesus had something to say that about that as well. Go to Luke 17:1. Go to Luke 17 verse 1. What about when we have the wrong perspective? What about when we stop making bad decisions? What about when we don't look out for others? When we use our so-called freedoms and they make others stumble even? Jesus had something to say about that. Luke 17:1. He said to his disciples, important that you understand the audience. It is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns you seven times saying, I repent, then you know what? Forgive him. Because that's the loving thing to do. It's one thing to say, "Um, I love you. Okay, here's a perfect example. What if I told you right now, I love you guys. (laughs) See you later. (laughs) I got to go catch a a Bud Light at the bar because the game's on. I don't love you enough, obviously, to finish the lesson, but just take my word for it. Yeah, I love you, but ah, maybe I'll show up, maybe I won't. Eventually, you're going to be like, yeah, I'm not buying that, mister. You say you love us, but heck, you're not even doing anything. You're not showing me you love me at all. You sound like you're just giving me lip service. You sound like a windbag. And you'd be right. And I would tell you right now, if I ever started acting like that, run as fast as you can. I don't want any of you, I really do love you that much. I don't want any of you to be subject to that kind of ridiculousness. But this is what Jesus was saying in Luke 17, 1 to 4. That is what functional love looks like. Functional love. I don't know why I said it with that kind of emphasis. Functional. (laughs) That's what functional love looks like, though. True love can't help but express itself. I've taught you this before. That's in the Bible, everywhere. God loves, he gives. He always gives. Because that's what true love does. Look around. Do you doubt God loves you? I mean, look around. Look at all he's done just for, the, for you and just this one day. I mean, most of you look No offense, fat, dumb, and happy. That means you ate, you have clothing, right? Doesn't look like anybody's going to be, you know, flipping out. God's done an awful lot for you just today. He shows it to you every day, does He not? We've had lesson after lesson on remembering these things. That we have an awful lot to be grateful for. And that His love really is functional. And that's what he calls us to be like. Don't just say you love. Function. So let's talk about functional love for a moment. And i give you an analogy, and this isn't one of my favorites, but just bear with it. A guy drives into a mechanic shop and his truck is running terribly. It's blowing blue smoke everywhere. Skipping cylinder firings. The mechanic, dumbfounded because this truck is only like three or four years old, says, wow, what's wrong with your truck, dude? He answers, geez, I'm not sure. It's been getting progressively worse since I drove it off the lot about four years ago. The mechanic says, well, have you been keeping up with maintenance? And asks about, you know, oil changes, filter changes, etc. The man says, I've only put gas in this puppy since I bought her and I drive a lot, so she's got over 150,000 miles on her. (laughs) And the mechanic says, you mean to tell me you've never done any maintenance on your truck for four years? Yep. Well, no wonder the truck is breaking down. You actually have to do maintenance for this truck to remain functional. You actually have to do maintenance for the truck to remain functional. That is analogous to functional love, you see. You actually have to do it for you and others to receive the blessings that come along with it. I always get a kick out of people who say stuff like, you know, what do you mean? You don't know I love you? I told you not that long ago, remember? And the other person responds, yeah, that was like two years ago. We aren't camels. We need to hear that not only God loves us, but that we are loved by those we love. I didn't design the game. There's a reason why Jesus said, this is the command I give you to love one another. And by that, by that functional love, people will know that you're my disciples. I don't want you to sit in Ivory Towers and say you love everyone. You look out, your, you know, pull the shade back once in a while during the day and go, I love you and I love you and I... You. No. I want you to love others. And if you love someone, tell them. Tell them, I, you know, I love you. I just told you that like three times. It's important. That's how God designed us. We're not, I mean, I, uh, and excuse me for this as well. This is an old technical term. The leaky bucket syndrome. Hopefully you understand. Love requires maintenance. We humans have leaky buckets when it comes to love. The bucket can be filled up pretty quickly, but over time, it leaks out and needs more love placed into it. That's how we are. We need to be maintained. That's why the commands are there. We need to have love in our lives. We need to have the sense of love in our lives. First and foremost, the Lord. It's why there's so much teaching on the Lord loves you. So much teaching on the gospel. It's why we abide in the gospel because that's the greatest expression of love we'll ever have until we get to heaven. That God actually, while we were yet sinners, God saved us. Read Romans 5 when you go home. But this is how we're built. Love requires maintenance. And I know that analogy on the board, the leaky bucket one's a little crude, maybe even romantic, but I hope you get the drift. God created us in such a way that we require, for lack of a better term, maintenance, in order to keep on having faith, especially when it comes to others. So, we need to stop being so egocentric and remember that we are the other person for someone else. We need to stop being so egocentric and saying, that's right. Why don't you tell me you love me? Well, you know what? You are often the other person For someone else. We are the ones able to perform routine maintenance for the sake of others. I think this is why we see even young people nowadays, quote, driving around like jalopies. And they're not even that old yet because family structures suck now, that parents tell their kids to go sit in a corner with a video game, the kid's thirsting for love, and they get a $50 bill to buy Grand Theft Auto 99. That's what I see with kids nowadays Kids don't even know they're loved. They're supposed to be getting it from the home front, and the parents are too preoccupied with themselves. Yay! And so these kids are like that truck. They're not even that old. And they're blowing smoke everywhere because nobody's maintaining them. People abuse each other terribly and are so self-absorbed nowadays that they forget to tell each other that they love them. People are so egocentric and so self-absorbed. We don't even tell each other we love each other anymore. It's unbelievable. It's like the most, funda- it's the most fundamentally nurturing thing we could ever give somebody. I love you. <laughs> I know you. I know you haven't eaten in three days, but if it helps, I love you. I mean, what do they say in India when you're starving? What do you tell your little child who says, Mommy, I need food? I don't have any, but I love you. I mean, what sustains them in such desperation? What do you think wins wars? I'm going to wax poetic for a moment. What do you think wins wars, love? What's the great driving motivator in any kind of Anything. Love. Maybe your conscience is flaring right now. Maybe there are people in your life that need to know that you love them. That's good. Remember, it's a sin to violate one's conscience. If you just got convicted, make a point. Now, let's connect this with our recent studies. We've learned time and again, as of late, that a good name has great value. And in many ways, the Spirit's woven that concept together with integrity to our good conscience. But that's what people do to establish a good name in the first place up here on the board. On the topic of a good name, don't Let go of all that good work on love. Take it with you. A good name begins with integrity to one's good conscience. Said conscience as a function of faith, because God allots to each a measure of faith, is a very personal and unique thing. God holds us accountable to the good conscience that he's chosen to give to us as individuals. And since we all possess unique natures and we're all called to follow our good consciences, We must conclude that there's a certain dynamic in play here that is in life itself. And you know what? This is exactly how God designed it. This is exactly how God designed it, up here on the board. Hence our message titles, God sees the heart, but the world sees the choices we make. It's important that we understand the dynamics of living among other individuals as a part of God's plan. We ought never judge others for stumbling. Rather, we ought to focus on not being the cause. This is love. If you haven't heard from somebody that you love dearly, that they love you, aren't you going to stumble eventually? Yep. I don't even know if this person loves me anymore. I'm thinking maybe they don't. That person's saying it, but I do. But they're too, what? Preoccupied with themselves? To actually express love? To do what Jesus said to do? To love one another? He commanded it? This is the practical side of love, the functional side of love. We ought, not to, we ought to focus on not being the cause of stumbling. This is love, Romans 12, 9 to 18. We read that. This is why we pondered the following up here on the board. Romans 12, 9 to 10. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Why does this have to even be written? Because we fail. We failed the divine mandate, the fundamental one, to love each other. And we've all become little islands. Look around. Kids are islands now. Older people not so much, you know, they still try to go out and, you know, talk to the neighbors over the fence. But as the generations spin up, you know, it gets harder and harder to do that. Kids nowadays, they, they don't they're just islands. They don't even have this intimacy. As a, they're like, what's intimacy? If there's no intimacy, well, why would you ever tell anybody you love them? I mean, that'd be strange, right? I'll just text it to him. L U V, space U. No, not even that. Heart. <laughs> love you. Why don't you get off your tush and go tell him? Go give him a hug wrong with people. That's not devotion. That's self-absorption. That's not functional love. That's a a scapegoat. That's a, a counterfeit. I mean, do you really feel loved when someone sends you a heart? No, but if they send me the one with like the double rings on it, Uh, be devoted, philostorgos from philos, philos, or lover, friend, and storga, natural, or family, love, properly, a lover of family. Devoted love shown by family members is that special affection shared between members of God's family, people born again, divinely adopted, and serving the same Heavenly Father. I took that from Helps, by the way. Again, this is nothing more than functional love. Devotion, being devoted to one another and brotherly love even. This isn't romantic. This isn't like, oh, I have doe eyes. No, this is actual love. I would argue that this love is greater and longer lasting than romantic love. Hands down, I, I believe that with all my heart, that brotherly love certainly supersedes romantic love. I've even seen it. firsthand. not that it matters, but but that's what it means to be devoted to one another. It's, it's functional. Paul wrote about it often, for example, up here on the board, Romans 12, 18, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. What's he talking about? Functional love. But they're jerk. No kidding. What did Jesus say? Pray for your enemies. He steals something, give him something else. Slaps your one cheek, turn on the other cheek. But I want to fight. Don't overcome evil with evil. Overcome evil with good. That's what functional love looks like. A lot of people out there, I've met a lot of Christians say, oh, I have love. I have love Jesus. Jesus loves me. I love Jesus. That's great. But you sit in your ivory tower and you don't tell a darn person in your life that you actually love them, that Jesus loves them. You don't reassure them of love. But you're right there. You can fly down the staircase when they screw up well, you're right there to judge. The burden of loving others is on the ones given the ability to do so in the first place. You Can't ask a bank teller to change out an engine block on a Chevy 1500. But you can ask a properly trained auto mechanic to do it. You have been given right perspective. You know the truth. And you have been set free to express His love to others. That's your situation. How do I know that? Because everybody in here has been in front of this pulpit for years. And I know I've taught every one of those concepts. You have been given the right perspective. You know the truth. You have been set free to express His love to others. I know for a fact I've taught on every one of those things multiple times. So everyone here knows you're the trained mechanic you're able to do love you've been set free to express his love to others that's what freedom's meant for after all right go to uh, galatians 5:13 galatians 5:13 I just think we need friendly reminders from the Spirit like this every so often. That It's really simple. I mean, come on. The, 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 the command from our Lord. I want you to love each other, okay? And by this they'll know you're my disciples even. But I want you to love each other. I'm the one who created you after all, so I know what you need. I know you have needs. You kind of need to be loved. You need to feel loved. You need to want to be loved, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's how I've made you to function. Sort of like gasoline, if you would. From love springs everything. Galatians 5.13, for God is love. For you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. Through love, serve one another. Isn't that functional? How do you serve someone from an ivory tower? How do you serve someone if you never ever lift a finger? That was Jesus' problem with the lawyers and the scribes and the Pharisees. You put all these things on people, but you don't even do them yourselves. You're hypocrites. Are you a hypocrite? Do you say you love the brethren, but you never lift a finger? You don't serve one another? That's between you and the Lord. I'm not here to judge, but what I know is you've been set free for a reason. You ready? You are free to love before you weren't. You were in bondage to the flesh. To the sovereignty of sin. And there ain't no love over there. Because God's got the market cornered on love, you see. You've been set free from that bondage. Now you're out and about, set free to do what? To love. Not to be self-absorbed. Not to love self. To love others. That's what you've been set free to do. And when you do that, the same way that that person attracted you to Christ, you attract somebody else to Christ. That's how this thing goes round and round. You are free to love. God wants us not just to love in a way that He knows it, because God does see the heart, but to love others so that they know it. You see, the world sees the choices we make. You are free to love this is how we reveal and maybe even evangelize others. Think of it this way Love is what attracts an unbeliever to our Savior. I mean, they've got to get over the repentance issue, of course. But what about after that? In their humility, it's the love of Christ that draws them. Love is what attracts an unbeliever to our Savior. The message we are are to give others who have been humbled by God's convicting ministry concerning sin and the holy God of the universe is simple. Up here in the board. God's love is so great that he wants to save you. That is the message of the gospel. God's love is so great that he wants to save you. Imagine that? You, you cockroach. Have you got to that point yet? Yeah, I'm kind of figuring it out. I'm a cockroach. I'm a sinner. Perfect. God loves you so much. That's what he wants to save you. That's that's why I'm here. That's why I'm functionally loving you. That's why I got out of my ivory tower. Stopped looking through the curtains and I actually got out on the street maybe even. That's not everybody's ministry, but you know what I'm saying. I got out and about and I functionally loved This is God. I'm acting on behalf of God right now. This is God in your face. I love you. Here's the gospel. You know what I'm saying? That's you. You show up as an ambassador for Christ. You represent the love of God. This is God at your doorstep right now. He sent me right now. Happened to me about six, seven months ago. Guy prayed. For the first time in years and years and years, somehow I get this notion to go see him. I show up, he goes, "Oh my!" He goes, "This is ridiculous." Because I I I prayed a couple hours later, you show up. Huh? I hope you weren't expecting better. (laughs) He's like, "Done." I prayed for someone a little. (laughs) You know what I'm getting at? That's you. How many times I got to teach that, right? God, you don't, when was the last time you saw God's hand tapping somebody on the shoulder? You don't. You see a human being with the love of Christ. Remember what I read from you, to you from Rajesh? Remember the old lady? The one who was picking trash? Remember who she gave credit to? Yeah. She basically said, Rajesh, you, Jesus sent you to me. This is how I survive. I know that Jesus loves me because you. You just gave me 50 rupees and that means the world to me. And that's Jesus saying he loves me. How do you think God works? He's functional. His love is functional. Why do you think he encourages us to love one another? So that we can represent him. Because God is love. That's the whole message of the gospel. God loves you so much he wants to save you, but... <laughs> he wants to save you. Now, if you don't want to respect the God that wants to save you, you have a different problem. We to talk a little bit about repentance over here. You got another problem. What's the point he's saying? Our end goal is to show others Christ, his precious love. Now with what remaining time I have, I want to begin closing up this series. And then I'm going to go somewhat quickly and do my best to close it up for you. A good name is of great prominence in the Bible, starting with the Lord's, of course. We too have the opportunity to reveal his good name through us as vessels of mercy. I just explained a situation like that love cannot be faked. I realize that statement could take us off on a thousand tangents, but it's really not all that complicated. Love is honest. It's open. It's kind. It's never deceitful. It's open. It's honest. It's kind. It isn't faked. We saw something like that a week ago, that openness is the beginning of a trusting relationship. You never get to pure love without trust. How do you get somebody to trust you? They have to have a relationship with you. That means, excuse me, functional love. They have to understand that you do love them. Maybe it's with a Christ-like love at first. As we've been learning, phonies and avatars aren't trustworthy. Go to John one forty-seven. John one forty-seven. These are, I'm starting to wrap up, so you're going to see a lot of details from before. John 1.47 Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. That's from that Greek word, dolos. A trick, bait, figuratively, wild. There's no deceit. Jesus, who is love, specifically remarked on the fact that Nathaniel was an open book, that he was who he said he was, that he had a good name, so to speak. So we had this principle from our studies as of late. Jesus on avatars. Jesus despised phoniness, preferring to spend his time with humble, transparent, flawed individuals. Why? Because that is soil that receives the gospel truth. An avatar isn't real enough to receive the gospel. A phony can't receive because... It's phony. It's not actually real, and God saves real people. So, you can't evangelize a fake person because that person doesn't exist. Another key principle from this series that blends right in with this evening's message, up here on the board, being honest with ourselves. Time and again, Jesus told parables about humility and transparency with those who desire to love us especially, starting with God, of course. Being honest with ourselves. Are we an avatar? Stated differently. Trust and intimacy. Think about how much intimacy suffers when we aren't honest with each other about ourselves. Is that real love? If I'm lying my pants off to you every chance I get, is that me showing that I love you? No, it's actually the opposite. It says, I don't trust you as far as I can throw you, so I'm going to lie to you. That's the opposite of love. Does God have a lie? Nope. And God is love. So, we need to stop lying to ourselves and to others. You want to show people love? You want to show people Christ's love? Did Christ ever lie? Nope. And he's the very manifestation of love. We want to start showing each other love. We want this thing to work the way it's supposed to work. We got to stop lying to each other, especially about ourselves. So that's worth thinking about. Think about how much intimacy suffers when we're not honest with each other about ourselves. Without trust, relationships never grow. Oh, they might grow, but they're going to grow in the wrong direction. And they're going to be based on things that are weak and fragile. And that's why, let's, let's face it, a lot of relationships never last because... It's based on avatars. It's based on things that aren't even real. The culmination of our critical work on avatars was, up here on the board, the word states that a good name isn't something we earn by cultivating an avatar. A good name is something real, like its owner. For example, the Pharisees were dishonest about themselves, preferring to project something righteous than accept righteousness in Christ. Religious people always choose self-righteousness over Christ-righteousness. God always despises self-righteousness, especially when it comes to His own children. Here on the board. The world sees our choices. I think I'm going to just sort of tease you with this and then leave it here. The world sees our choices. Self-righteousness Discredits the Lord's good name. To God be the glory. Amen. Again, the world sees our choices. Self righteousness discredits the Lord's good name. In other words, if that's what you're showing the world, if you say, But God knows I love the world, but yet I'm a self righteous jackass. I even go to I even learn the Bible so that I can be more righteous than my neighbor. This isn't even about being righteous in Christ. This is about me elevating my flesh above others. I learn the Bible so that I can build my vocabulary, so that I can speak down at people, if ever so slightly. I don't need a whole lot of advantage, just a little. I just need to know that I'm that much better than you. So I'm going to learn a little extra Bible, maybe a little Greek, a little Hebrew be all fancy-smancy. And then I'm going to press people down like the Pharisees did. Where the heck is love in all of that? That sounds like the exact opposite. That's very true. Self-righteousness is the exact opposite of loving somebody, of love itself. Love comes from Christ's righteousness. Let me put it that way. This is His good name. To God be the glory. Let's read that passage quickly, and then I'll close. Go to 2 Peter 3.14. We're going to get to 3.18, but we'll start at 3.14 for the sake of momentum. 2 Peter 3.14. The world sees our choices. 2 Peter 3, 14, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Again, the point on the board, the world sees our choices. Self-righteousness discredits the Lord's good name. To God be the glory. Amen. And I'll just close with this. As believers, self-righteousness is a choice, and it's terribly ugly. But here's the thing with self-righteousness. Even unbelievers can see it. Even unbelievers can see it. Remember our message title, God Sees the Heart, but the World Sees Our Choices. We choose self-righteousness, even as believers. And the crazy thing about it is that unbelievers can see it. And I'll close with this last principle. A believer's error. Self-righteousness is, quote, speaking the language of the world. The world economy of creature credit is wholly dependent on self-righteousness. When a known believer decides to compete at that level, the message we are sending is that we are phonies. Let me repeat it. Self-righteousness is speaking the language of the world. The world economy of creature credit is wholly dependent on self-righteousness. When a known believer decides to compete at that level, the message we are sending is that we are phonies. (laughs) We say we're Christians, but we're self-righteous just like the rest of the world. And that makes us phonies. The point is, we are supposed to be espousing the virtues of Jesus, not ourselves. And that is orthogonal, if you would. Divorced from love. Amen? Uh, bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege of studying your word here this evening. Thank you for always bringing us back to your love. Thank you for our hope and our salvation, knowing that it was love that reached across the chasm by grace to save us. Father, we just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned this evening out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs us so desperately. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit we do pray. Amen. Thank you.